Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey everyone, BT here and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside Neville Goddard and the Law of Assumption. We are. So here we go, Neville Goddard. This is a, it's a new guy to me. I mean, I've heard you talk about Neville Goddard in the past. You've mentioned him in your teachings. Mm. But um, having prepared for this episode, kind of learning a little bit about Neville Goddard, it was uh, it was interesting to see his journey. And I actually was able to listen to some old recordings of some of his oh, sermons. That was pretty cool. I yeah. love those old audios, just like when we talked earlier on about the Earl Nightingale, and that brought me down right. a rabbit hole of Paul Harvey and listening to all these orators. <laughs> yeah. It was so much fun. But Neville Goddard is what we're talking about today. And like I said, you haven't talked much about him on the podcast before, but his influence on you is evident by the content that you brought us. So mm. what is it about um, his work that spoke so much to you or continues to speak to you? So the, the intri- here's the interesting thing about this. Um, there are not that many people out there that we're teaching from a perspective of higher truth that are recorded, right? And that actually have books that still exist and you can find them um, that not only knew what they were talking about, but actually got results. Neville was one of those people. He was very articulate. He believed very much in what he was teaching. He also got tremendous results from, I guess, his congregation, his clients, whatever. Uh, uh, He was a unity minister, minister, Christian science, something like that. And I really resonated with with his thought process of what is the position in a person's mind and how they view the universe as far as creating or manifesting what it is that they want in life, and then what are the laws behind that and how does he actually teach it? So, um, yeah, it was one of the, it was one of the early, early books that I came across. I, I, if I remember correctly, I found his book in a library when I had just started to figure out what section to go to, to look for books that, that I was resonating with. Sure. And, and that's how I heard about him. And then I heard somebody else mention him one time. So I started digging deep into, into his stuff. And I just really liked the way that he taught it. He's a very confident person. And he was very confident in the idea that you could change your life if you change the way that you think and how you speak into the problem that you might be that you might that you might have in, in life, whether it was health or money or relationships, he kind of covered the whole spectrum. Yeah, and he's he's got quite a collection of of works, and and we're talking about his first book coming out in like 1939. Yes. So he was around yes. for a very long time. You know, some of the titles that he he wrote about at your command, out of this world, the creative use of imagination, mm-hmm. and then in, in particular for this episode, you focused on the power of awareness, right. and specifically the chapter titled "The Crown of Mysteries," which I absolutely love that <laughs> title. Um, and this quote from from that work that you pulled was particularly rich and I want to share it with the audience. Again, when in imagination you assume the feeling of a wish fulfilled, you're mentally lifted up to a higher level. 
When through your persistence, this assumption becomes an actual fact, you automatically find yourself on a higher level, that is, that you have achieved your desire in your objective world. And there's all manners of words that I could pull out of there, but can you talk a little bit about what he's referring to when he says imagination and what maybe the deeper meaning of this passage may be pointing toward? So... Our imagination is an intellectual factor that we have. And and when you think about the intellect, we're the only form of life on the planet that we're aware of that has an evolved intellect. Imagination is our ability to see in our mind something that we don't yet have in our hand. We can build an image because we think in pictures, right? So we can build an image of something that we want to create, manifest, invent, whatever you want to call it, in our life through the use of that faculty, the imagination. And it's literally the first process in creating as far as a human being goes, right? So we think about what we want. When we're thinking, what are we using? We're using our imagination. Right. And we're using our reasoning capability, which is also an intellectual factor. And then when we build that image with our imagination and we reason through what it is, we hold it with our will, which is another intellectual factor. Our will gives us the ability to focus. So we create this image with our imagination. We focus on that image. And then we stay in, which is what he's really talking about here, is how do you stay in the conscience, the conscious uh, expectancy of that which you want? And that's where the assumption part comes into it. Like, what is the what is it that we're thinking that causes us to assume that what we want to create is actually going to happen? Yeah, and, and that leads to the the quote. You know, within that quote, you assume the feeling of a wish fulfilled. Yeah, I think that's just it's just it just resonates so much when you read that or see that in print uh, because there are a lot of things that with your imagination is driving everything that you want to bring to you, mm-hmm. and if you're not getting it currently, then there's something amiss with your mindset. So yes. you have to yield to that feeling of the wish fulfilled. And and in that yielding, I, I would assume that amazing things will come your way. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, there's no limits to the possibility no of what human beings can do. The biggest thing is getting it into our mind free and clear of doubt, right? Because doubt is the thing that comes in that attacks our thinking. From Doubt, we go to worry. From worry, we go to fear. And then fear is expressed within the body. But the problem is, is that it uses the same mechanism. It takes over our imagination and we start to build images of what we don't want. Right. So and again, to, to answer your question kind of in another way, everything that Goddard was teaching was how do we overcome that problem so that we can really be in command and control of our imagination until the thing that we want was actually manifested in our life. Yeah, and, and that, that worry, that doubt, and that fear can be very, very crippling, as, as we know, because you've spoken on that many, many times. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings in the parallels in this episode that you had between Goddard's work and then, of course, Price Pritchett's work in U Squared, which, you know, all of our the members of our, you know, company have read it. I, I refer to it often. It's a really simple read, and you've referenced it quite a it's bit. It's a genius it, book. It, it really, and it's, so, it's such a small little guy, but it packs a huge it punch. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's quite amazing. And, and the parallels between Goddard and Pritchett 
Pritchett, even though we're talking 50 years apart from when these works were written, right. the, the parallels are evident because like you always say, truth is truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and those parallels that you mentioned in the episode were in essence, you don't have to see something to believe it, which is a huge tenet of your teachings. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You don't have to doubt. You rest in the assumption that you already have or are yeah. what you want to be. And I love that rest in the assumption. So what should a person take from those those series of words, rest in the assumption statement? Well, the the resting is the assuredness, right? So you're not if you're if you're if you're not resting, you're usually like in a more of a manic, worried, is it gonna happen? I don't know if it's gonna happen. It's what happens if it does? Way, it's very yeah. frenetic energy. Yeah, it's not good. So the resting is peace be still. It's the calmness, it's the assuredness that God is on our side, the universe is on our side, we're doing our part, and it will manifest in our life. Yeah, and that, that I love that you said peace be still there, because I was thinking, you know, we talk a lot about what can quiet our mind to the point when we are in that state, because I have a feeling that many people at some point in time over the course of a week get there, whether something happened in their yeah. personal life, their professional life, and it's those types of, you know, mantras, if you will, that you can kind of reset yourself in that moment just by saying something like peace be still, that will give you the rest you need to bring in that assured piece that you want. I believe that's I think correct. that's genius. Yes. I love that yeah. piece. Absolutely. Well, one of the realities that we're not taught in school or pretty much anywhere else is that we have to see it or weigh it or measure it to make a thing real. Like it's almost the seeing as believing situation that uh, we don't necessarily buy into here for sure. This leads us into this episode of conversation around the law of assumption. And you mentioned that this law is the means by which fulfillment of your desire may be realized. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing your understanding Understanding of that law and how we should be using it in our own personal growth. Yeah. So the idea, here's another thing, right? And I don't want to go into this because too deep because it could, it just creates too much chaos in a person's mind. It's not actually a law, right? It's, it's, it's really more of a rule. Like here is a rule to follow in order for this to happen. But the idea is how do we have more command over our own thinking? I mean, we're we're born with this amazing brain, but it doesn't come with a user's manual, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, so we have to learn how to think successfully. There is this really kind of a weird place that the human being gets into when they want something, when they're going to really try to manifest a desire that they have in their life. And here's what the place is: the I will start to think about something. And then there's a gap that gets created. And the question is, when that gap gets created, what comes in and fills that gap? Because I'm sight dominant in life, meaning that we have our senses. We see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. And those senses are always suggesting something to us about what we're experiencing in our life as it's happening. So this is the dangerous part for a person when it comes to the manifestation process, because if I want to manifest something that I don't currently physically have, my senses are telling me this constantly, right? If I'm in debt and I want to manifest wealth, I'm, excuse me, I'm constantly seeing the debt, right? I'm seeing the bills on the desk. I'm seeing not enough money in the bank. I might be getting the phone calls from people saying, hey, when are you going to pay or how can you pay or can you send us something? So we're getting bombarded by the world that we have kind of created for ourselves with the suggestion that what you want's not here. 
or it's not here fast enough, or it's not here big enough, right? What Goddard is attempting to do is say, hey, listen, you have to get through this in order to create what you want. So I'm going to give you a set of systems or rules to help teach you how to control your thought process in that gap so that you have enough time to get the thing that you want and reaffirm the building of actually how do you think. In another great book, In the Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles, Waddles pointed out, he said, teaching yourself to think, thinking what you really want to think is the hardest work in the world because you're battling your subconscious mind. While we're doing this, we have to find a way to stay in the energetic expectation that the thing is going to come. Hence, this is why he comes up with the law of assumption. Because we're assuming all the time. We just don't realize that we're, do we're doing it. If I go into a grocery store, I'm assuming that they're going to have the food that I want to buy. If I'm, if I'm in a relationship, I'm assuming that it's going to be a good relationship. If I go to the bank to take out money, I'm assuming that the money is there. If I'm making sales calls, I'm assuming that the person is going to buy. I'm using assumption all the time. However, if I'm coming from a prior bad experience, if I'm coming from what I don't have, if there's a consequence to me not manifesting what I want, there's a real tendency that my assumption's going to go toward the negative. And what he's teaching us to do is how do we keep it in the positive expectation of what we want and keep it there long enough so that we literally are on the same vibrational level of that which we want and that it manifests in our life. Yeah, and that, I was going to say that. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you think of assumption, you can assume good things are going to be there. But on the flip side of that, there's a lot of people who assume that the worst is going to happen, happen to them. Tons, These are the people tons. that struggle with, you know, being a victim. You know, everything everything's always happening outside of themselves. They're not responsible. They, they forget about personal responsibility. They point the finger everywhere else. They assume bad things. And if you continue to assume that... I mean, more likely, we're all powerful beings. We are creators. You're going to bring more of that you into will. your life, and you're not going to change it. So I'm glad that you brought up both the positive sides and the negative sides to assumption because we often do it. And, you know, there's the there's the phrase, you know, what happens when you assume something, right? So right. I don't have to get into that here, but you kind of get how it works both to the positive and the negative, which brings in polarity, and that's another law. And I love that you did say that this is not a true law. Mm -hmm. if, if people were to go and, and Google, you know, Google search universal laws, you're not going to see this as one of those that's out there. Right. Um, it's interesting that he called it a law, but I guess in the time when this was written, you know, it, it, it carries with it because you said the word rule for a moment. It's more of a rule. It mm. seems like when something's law, it's like set in stone. This is something. So I guess it's just uh, the way he phrased it uh, makes it sound really juicy. And, and to be honest with you, I thought it was an actual law when I read it because I was thinking, oh, and then I Googled it and it wasn't coming up with anything except Neville Goddard. Right. So it, he was the one that, that coined it. So I thought that was really quite cool. Um, well, in the episode, you also uh, shared a quote by Buckminster Fuller that uh, was sort of in passing, but it's really powerful. And I want to read it again and then just ask you a question about it. And the quote was, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. Mm -hmm. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. How does that quote sort of complement what Goddard's saying about the law of assumption here? So I think the idea behind what Buckminster Fuller uh, was coming from is that so much of the process of the way human beings think 
is about trying to push to a new level. Our, like our, our approach is if something goes wrong, work harder. That's really the information right. that we get because it's an ethic. It's a, it's a you know, the, having a hard work ethic is a good thing. It's a value for us as individuals. It, it not only helps us stay diligent in what we're doing, but it really also helps us set up um, a way for us to continue to show up in life so that we're constantly creating the life that we want. Now, in, in that idea, I think that Buckminster Fuller and other people also realized that if this work ethic, if this, if this frame in my mind is to constantly work harder and continue to push for a new result, I will have a tendency to do that even if it starts to get to the point where it's not working for me. So he recognized that if we take something that's broken and our approach to fixing it is to work harder at it, all we're doing is pushing the wrong thing even more. So he said, listen, really what we want to do is we need to create something new. And the, the something completely different other than what we have done before in order to get a total different result and get rid of the thing that we were doing before. So we're creating an entirely new process in order to manifest the good that we desire. And that's, and that's, and that's where Fuller was really coming from. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and you, you recently, you know, about a month or so ago, you did an episode um, that we called Quit Trying Harder. So I'd encourage people to go back and listen yeah, to that one because, that was a good one. yeah, you're absolutely right. You think about, you know, the ways in which our programming tells us that in order to overcome any sort of problem, we just have to work harder. You're not working hard enough. Right. You're not doing hard enough. And, and that's where we can go back to sort of like rest in the assumption that you're already what you want to be yep. and it's already here. So now I can see how that connects really well. Uh, Buckminster Fuller is an interesting guy and and actually both Neville Goddard and Buckminster Fuller who we just shared the quote of I would never have known about these people had you not brought them up they're so under the radar and Buckminster mm -hmm. Fuller particularly he was an architect yeah uh, which I think is really interesting and I guess that's where the term like model comes from he's talking about models in a way you know he's bringing in his architectural background but um had no idea that he was he was the one who popularized the geodesic dome yep. and then I just read that he was one of the presidents the the second president of Mensa, which I think is oh, really, is right? yeah, I which is really that. interesting. There's, and I, you know, I'm getting this off the internet, so I don't know how accurate it is, but I would never think to Google Buckminster Fuller until I had you, until you read that quote. Mm -hmm. And then actually it just goes to show you the study that you do about these people and you find the most interesting characters and one sentence or one paragraph can create this huge spark of interest in your mind and really just take you off on this brilliant ride of what these people do. So I guess in the long way, what I'm trying to say is where do you come across these interesting characters? Was this something that you heard about from your mentor or was this something you were just scanning for certain things and it just showed up in your life? I don't, I don't remember exactly how I came across uh, Bucky as he's affectionately <laughs> referred to. Other than this, when I was working with Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen and him have been really great friends for sure. a long period of time. And we were working on a project um, together that Mark was part of the project. So I got to meet him. I got to know him. And I found out that, that uh, Buckminster Fuller was actually a mentor 
for Mark. Mark worked with him in some way on projects together and, and stuff, and he really thought very highly of him. So, of course, a lot of uh, Bucky's teaching was brought into a lot of the stuff that Mark taught about, and I used to get to sit and listen to Mark teach. So he would quote him frequently. And I I think that's where I first came across him. Yeah. And that's one of the things you said in the past. What I love about the way you learn and the way you devour content is that you'll read something and then you'll find out or ask yourself the question, where did I learn? Who taught this person this thing? And that'll send you off in a different area. And this web just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger, like we've spoken about before. And it's really cool. Like I was reading through getting back to Neville Goddard, you know, he heavily influenced uh, Wayne Dyer, you know, and, and, and yeah, Wayne, so I've heard. yeah and, and, and Wayne Dyer was, you know, was a, was a big person in this industry uh, before his passing, but his legacy lives on. So you, you kind of see these people that, that if you think about it, you know, we're talking 70, 80 years and beyond mm-hmm. hundred years yep. of this knowledge. But again, it gets down to the, the beauty of truth is truth, no matter what era you hear it. And, you know, we're always, you know, in sports, it's a big thing to compare the eras. Like, you know, you've talked a lot about Michael Jordan, like Michael Jordan's era. The people who play today wouldn't be able to even get on the same court as Michael Jordan. Right. It's difficult to compare eras. And I think the same is true with personal development, professional development. So. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that it's truth is truth, period. Right. Whether you read it in the, something out of the early 1900s or whether you're reading it about someone who's putting it out now, it's just really, really cool to see that. And I love, you know, that you bring in Neville Goddard, you bring in Buckminster Fuller. You're always referring to, you know, Wallace Waddles, Napoleon Hill, James Allen. I mean, all these amazing, amazing people. You know, the interesting thing about what you said was that when I first started when I first started listening to books on tape, it was on cassette tape, I did not know where to get this information from, right? Um, I didn't know. And I still, you know, I think about this sometimes. I'm not even so sure that libraries had a self-improvement section back then, sure. okay? Um so I would literally walk into a library because this is, you got to remember, this is pre-internet, right? I started studying right. before the internet. So you'd go into a bookstore, you would go into a library, and you're looking for information. I did not know where to look. However, when I first came across, I think the first, the first breakthrough in this area for me was, was finding new information probably came from Tony Robbins because... The first book I came in, in contact with was Think and Grow Rich. And I did not, Brandon, I really did not understand much of that book. It was like reading uh, a foreign language to me. I had no sure. concept of the things that he was actually talking about. So I was having this tendency of like putting it down. I didn't understand it. Um, there was part of me that was resisting it because it was change and, you know, all of that. Then uh, I got introduced to Earl Nightingale, and I got introduced to The Strangest Secret. I could relate to that one a little bit more. I think it it was a little more simplistic. Uh, It wasn't very long. You know, it wasn't wasn't hard to, to read. But then I got introduced to Tony Robbins, and... I got his personal power tapes. And in those personal power tapes, he made several mentions of the books that he had studied. Mm -hmm. And one of them was Think and Grow Rich. And another one was 
um, as a man thinketh. Right. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning, yeah. you know, by Victor, Victor Frankl. Frankl. Yeah. So what I started doing was I was like, okay, let me get these books. So when I started looking for those books, it led me to the sections that those books were in. And it was like, whoa. Yeah, they've been at, here. Yeah. <laughs> been here the at, whole time. <laughs> exactly. They've been here the whole time, but I just didn't know where to look. Hidden in plain sight. So then I, it, it was, it's like a, it's like a web, right? It was yeah. like a one thing leads to another sure. and another and another. And then that's how I started finding all these different people. I pay very close attention to when a teacher is teaching, who are they mentioning? Why are they mentioning this person? Where did they get their information? How, what are they citing as historical reference or whatever? And then I just do a deep dive in, in those directions. And I'm always hearing about somebody new or learning about something new. It's a passion for me. Yeah. I mean, I just really love doing it. Yeah, and I, I've, I've recently started doing this more and more. I mean, I've been around you for the better part of 12 years now. And every time, like even when my listening habits, like I'm a big podcast listener, I listen to tons of podcasts. And if they bring on an expert in the field of, you know, psychology, I'll listen. And they're usually throwing out book recommendations. Sure. So I'll just immediately go on, not even read an, an excerpt from it. I'll buy the book, get it. I've got they're starting to pile up now. I've got like eight or nine books that I've ordered over the past couple of weeks just based off of either your recommendations of some teachings that you do every day or whether it's something that I hear on another podcast. It's just really important to always be open to whatever that message may be. And I love that, like we've said in previous podcasts, you don't necessarily read a book or study something cover to cover just to get through it. Like right. I, I oftentimes try to get through the work instead of just taking it line by line, oftentimes word by word to really let it sink in. So I think that's pretty powerful. While you were talking about that and you were talking about going to the library, it made me think about like the card catalog system yeah. and just frantically, I, I did. And I actually Googled, you're going to laugh at me. I Googled Dewey decimal system to figure out where in the library would we find these things <laughs> and what number would it be under? So hopefully the Dewey decimal system is still out there. I have not been in a library in years, to be honest with you. Yeah. My, la my library yeah. is basically the internet and Amazon now, but um, apparently you can find the, uh, they're under the psychology section. So that's where you'd find ah. self self improvement is what they deem it, and it's the 158 section. So if you're looking if you're looking in your local library, it's 158 if they still have that. But I remember going into my local library and just combing through those you know the card catalog to find the books. And I have a feeling that these books were always there, like you said. But they I were. never would go and look for those. I'd be in some other department. So it's just really neat to know that those are out there, and you can find all this information. And a lot of it, like just doing a simple search on. Neville Goddard. I came across, like I said, some brilliant, some brilliant audios. So I'd encourage people to go out and listen. You know, he is a, mm -hmm. he's a, he's a minister. So there's, you know, there's a, there, there's sermons. They, they recorded sure. some of his sermons and it's really the audio. Clearly it was like the 1950s. Yeah. It's not going to be like crystal clear, but it gives you a, a, an essence of who this person was and, and why his sort of law assumption is what it is. So, all right. Well, in closing, um, you stated in this episode that one of the great problems we have when attempting to use the law of assumption is focusing our attention on getting things, whether it's mm -hmm. getting a new home, getting a better job, getting more money in our bank account, etc. And you mentioned that this comes down to both righteousness and consciousness, that feeling of already being the person you were meant to be. Each of those things I just mentioned is a result of focusing on the righteousness. And that in essence, is replacing an old paradigm with a new paradigm. And and just reading that, when I hear like righteousness and consciousness and paradigms, it's pretty heady stuff. At least it is for me. Mm -hmm. Can you sort of simplify what it means by, you know, this coming down to righteousness and consciousness as 
applying the law of assumption? Yeah, I think that we are, so we're, we're born with a genetic DNA that comes from our parents, right? So we're, we're part mom, we're part dad. But I also believe that we're born with a spiritual DNA. And that spiritual DNA begins to be manifest through desire within, a, in a, within the individual itself. Desire is the, the affirmation, so to speak, of God's message for us, through us, as to what our life is, what it's about, what it is that we're supposed to be doing. So what I think is really cool about this is that most people think that um, we're not really born with a direction like animals are born with. If you look at nature, nature doesn't question uh, why it's here, what it's here for, what it is. Uh, is it good enough? Can it participate? Is it going to get rejected? Nature doesn't think about any of that stuff. It has this internal knowing of what it is and what it's supposed to be doing. Now, I don't claim that there's a consciousness there, but there is something that is similar to that with, within it. I just don't think it can question itself. But with human beings, it has been thought for a long time that we don't have that. And I really struggled with the idea that God would create something as significant uh, as human beings with this really fantastic intellect that can do so many amazing things. And we have, like <laughs> we have done really amazing things, but not give us a direction in life. So I started to study it. And what I found was that desire is, is the direction. If we learn to pay attention to what it is that we really desire, if we listen to that quiet voice within that's telling us which way to go, it manifests both in a clear message to our consciousness, but also in feeling, in emotion, that we will find that there is something here that is specific and unique to each human being. And it's the thing that brings us joy, it brings us fulfillment, it gets us in a direction for our life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to work. Uh, it doesn't mean that um, uh, we don't have to grow. You know, we have to do all of those things. We have to develop skills. But if we learn to follow that desire, it really gives us the direction in which we're supposed to do that in our life for ourselves and for other people. So for me, studying all these great individuals who have in one way or another found this desire in themselves and brought it to manifest in their life has been just an unbelievable fascination for me, both for myself and what I want to do with my life, but also for helping other people do the same thing with their life. And, and to, to kind of just bring this to a close, the, the real thing is this, and I forget, I think it was Mark Twain that said this, the two most important days of our life are the day we were born, and the next one is the day we find out why we were born. And when we find that, it's like everything becomes a little brighter in life. Everything has a little bit more meaning. Everything seems to have more purpose to it. And it gives us a reason to grow. It gives us a reason to think about things that are in our life that we don't necessarily understand in the beginning. Because let's face it, people go through hell sure. in their life. They, re they really do. And part of the problem is they don't understand why they're going through it. It is rare that a person will automatically think to themselves, hey, there's a purpose 
for the reason that I suffered through this as a kid, or why did I lose my mom at an early age, or um, you know, why did we, why were we raised broke? You know, why did we go through all of these things? Because everything was supposed to be teaching us a lesson to help us fulfill the purpose that this desire is teaching us to 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 pay attention to. So that's what you know. That's what it is for me. Wow. Yeah. And you were correct. That was Mark Twain's quote. And it's a brilliant quote. It was quote. Mark Twain. It's a brilliant yeah. quote. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. And I mean, it's, it, that's a, that's a walk off right there by you just saying desire is the direction. Mm. I think that's, that's post-it note material. That's something you put in front of you at all times yep. and you'll know it just like that. You know, that crystal resonates with that key on the piano. You'll know it when yeah, you're in you it, when that desire, it. you'll you feel, feel it, it in your body all the way throughout and desire is the direction is that's just juicy. So I appreciate it. This is this has been great. Thanks for coming inside, David. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff. <laughs>